da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Showtime. About time of year, guys. Uh, we're finally starting to talk about movies that might actually matter in three or four months from now. Um, hello and welcome in again for another week, another edition of the Mad About Movies podcast. I am Kent Garrison, joined by my brothers, Richard and Brian. Again, hello guys. We're not not weekly brothers, but we all have moms named Martha. Yes. Right. So it's yes. like yeah. brother. The paperwork is still pending for us all <laughs> to be adopted by each other. You're my brother. Dirk is adopting all three of us. <laughs> so Clint, Clint, uh, Clint Eastwood is back at it, guys. Back in the director's chair. I think he hasn't left the director's chair except to stand yeah, up and, and, and yeah, he, he, he's up to stand up and then insult the chair at the uh, yeah, he, yells, he yeah. gets up and yells at the chair yeah. for sure. That's all he does. Makes sits in the chair and yells at the chair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it's a real Clint, love hate relationship. He's back with uh, another story of American heroism, I guess. Mm. The last time yeah. we talked about Clint Eastwood was American Sniper, I believe. Oh, yeah. I forgot we did an episode on that. And it was a Best Picture nominee, and of course, was. so was uh, Bradley Cooper. And I believe Clint Eastwood was, too, for director. Big so Baby also won several awards, I think. And uh, I think, I believe Jersey Boys was actually nominated for Best Picture that year as well. So doubled <laughs> up for Clint that year. How, it's so funny how he can just do oh, that. I, I love Jersey Boys. Seen the play literally three times. In different I didn't know that locations. That well, is, that's Jersey cool. Boys, like great, great play. It is a great uh, good, great musical. Um, it's just funny how Clint Eastwood can do that, and everyone kind of forgets about it. And then American Sniper's like, oh god, Clint Eastwood is the best, you know. <laughs> he he can kind of get away with a lot more because he's Clint Eastwood, and who wouldn't want to be Clint Eastwood or Scott Eastwood for that matter? Uh, <laughs> Scott has taken over where Clint left off, that's for sure. But it's going to be good to talk about this, and first time I believe. We've talked to Tom Hanks in a long time. Yeah. A long, long been. time. Maybe Bridge Maybe of Captain Spies? Phillips? Oh, Bridge of Spies, right. Yeah. That right. was about a year ago at this point. Yeah. And uh, Captain Phillips before that. You are correct. So it'll be good for that, but it wouldn't be a Mad About Movies podcast without movie news. There's only a few items that I have to go over tonight. Um, some of the headlines we can really discuss right off the top here. Uh, I believe the film festival circuit is going around right now. Hot, mm-hmm. hot uh, premieres happening around. A lot of reviews of big movies uh, that are highly anticipated are coming out. Some of the first reviews from some of the more anticipated ones that we'll see later in the year. I mean, what have you guys heard about the film festivals and uh, what are what is everybody excited about? I've heard Hacksaw Ridge has gotten uh, standing elevations in places. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard the opposite about birth of a nation for, for some reason. Um, uh, I, I, I don't know what to think about a lot of the movies I've been looking forward to, but what have you guys mm-hmm. heard? Uh, Brian, what have you heard about some of the, some of the headlines? The Hacksaw Ridge news was good. That one got, uh, quite the, uh, quite the reception. Um, I think birth of a nation is just going to end up being too hot to handle because of 
fair or unfair what's happening with uh with Nate Parker I think that's gonna that's gonna kill it and which I don't know if that's if that's right or not but yeah. I think it's just gonna be too tough to deal with La La Land is killing like every place it plays it seems like it's just it's just destroying so I, I feel like you have to put that as the this is a gosling right year now, good grief yeah dude how is this every not... year is the year of gosling in it my should be. life so yeah but <laughs> man what a great like he he has won me over officially as a as a He's comedian, an actor, and just as a cool dude, like American Treasure mm-hmm. candidate oh, yeah. already. Definitely. North uh, American Treasure. It's incredible how far somebody can come hey. with just a few projects. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're coming around because yeah. I've been on the, I wasn't, the Gosling I, bandwagon for I, a I, long Honestly, time. he was like a little bit too Robert Patton, pretty. Pattinson yeah. to me. Sure. You know, kind of t- just the, I, there to look at and uh, I never felt thought that he had way that. Ab- right. I felt that way about him just based on how he looks and – Every time, every time I saw a movie with him in it for about three or four years, I would have to kind of talk myself into not liking him, which was really stupid on my part. Um, but now I've just I've come full circle. He's he's the best. He legitimately might be my favorite actor right now. Richard, well, uh, yeah, I've I've uh, I've long been uh, a fan, but he he did a few things in a row that I thought totally were way too similar. And it was just like him trying to be De Niro, and now I like that he's, <laughs> that he's Leo went through that out. phase too. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> and it's like it's a rite of passage for the young, beautiful male actor. Uh, but now he's branching out and not afraid to mix in the lighter fare and uh, show his range as an actor. So he's 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 very very likable. And I'm excited for that movie. I like everything I hear about it. Uh, I'm pumped about. He's probably. He's definitely he's I wouldn't say my favorite actor like Brian uh, because uh, obviously the cup, but he is one of my top five favorite people I trust the most. Uh, he just the, doesn't have quite the weight of the cup. Right. His, I would the, I would consider the, the cup more of a supporting actor. Like I would rather right, see but, him play alongside somebody than like you're out right, in front. But they say the same about Christoph Waltz too, but I mean right. two Oscars is two Oscars. That's true. <laughs> You can't deny that. And that category is the most crowded every year for a reason, and, yeah. and the cup transcends that. The red and carpet. he has a ton of CMT awards for all the vi- music videos he's been in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shoot tobacco, shoot tobacco, shoot tobacco, spit. Actress well, <laughs> nonetheless, La La Land. I heard Emma Stone won Best Actress. I think the Venice Film Festival. Yeah, yeah. and I think TIFF, too. Yeah, in Toronto. And mm-hmm. so good for her. And I can't wait to see her in a musical. Um, I love musicals. I already said that earlier. Yeah. Speaking I like of musicals, musicals too, can um, we share that? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, it can either be the best thing or the worst thing. There's really yes. not like an okay musical, you know? It's either yeah, a great uh, musical or a terrible musical. <laughs> yeah. It's, right. a t- it's a tightrope act. Right. You're either it's, they're wonderful or you, you plummet to your death in front right. of everyone. So that being said, I love Chazelle, love Whiplash, love his sensibilities. I trust his music uh, sensibilities because of Whiplash and how brilliant yeah. that movie was and how much it actually knew about music and what how music is performed and how to capture that on camera and everything. The nuance of it was, was awesome. So I'm excited to see what he does with this. This seems to be more of a fairy tale kind of thing. I don't know the mm-hmm. plot of this, but it seems to be more old school Hollywood you know, old sets and everything. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen it, of course, but um, 
looking forward to it. I think that's not to say the front runner because there's no front runner because nobody's seen any of these. Uh, but it's just all made kind of anticipation. It's been the one that most people have anticipated because it's the most different from all the other. Mm-hmm. You, you get you get okay. You've got a couple. You've got a war movie. You've got uh, you've got a couple standard kind of Oscar-y type movies, some big, strong performances like The Accountants and things like that coming up. But this seems to be the one that most people are just more curious about. And so that's maybe why it's the most anticipated. As It's kind of the boyhood of this year, you know? Everyone's mm, kind of sure. heard about it, and yeah. you're like, man, like how could that how could that suck, you know, with those people involved and with that, that story and everything? And that um, it just seems like the right combination. And you're just curious to see. So that'll be number one on my list. But it's good to hear some positive news coming out of the film festival circuit uh, regarding some of these upcoming movies because oftentimes what makes the headlines around this time of year is, wow, that was terrible and everyone should be freaking out over a movie that everyone thought was going to do well. The crowd booed blanky blank as it at its yeah, premiered. Yeah, they did boo something. I'm trying to think of what it was uh, this year. Man, I don't know how I could Google that. Let's see. Boob Film Festival? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm Googling. You read me. <laughs> of course, I'm always screen sharing with you, Kent. So. Yeah. It's just a bunch of stuff that was booed at Cannes. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Matthew McConaughey's new movie got booed at Cannes. Was it the end of the that McConaughey was it, That was in May, though. That was the movie that just came out, wasn't it? Oh yeah, the uh, he had a he had a uh, oh uh, free state of Jones Van Zant, Gus Van Zant, yeah, and McConaughey yes. just released a movie sea like of trees, yeah, sea of like trees. last week, and yeah. it made like one thousand yeah, dollars. Seriously, did horribly, horribly. <laughs> it he's was got... the, it was the Protestant Reformation to the McConaughey's and ended it. <laughs> he's got gold coming up at the end of the year, and that has done better. So maybe that will maybe that'll save his year. Sea be of back. trees. Yeah. Let's see who directed it. Yeah, it was Gus Van Zant. Yeah, man, he can he can probably stop making. <laughs> We're done. I watched We're Good Will Hunting the other day, and it's still so good, man. You yeah. gotta watch that again, Brian. You know what? Almost go. Famous yeah, is still so good too. But no, Cameron right. Crowe needs to kind of stop for a while. <laughs> Don't say that. Out Brian's right here. We I know. I said Almost there. Famous was good. No, I know, but we have to use our special voice for that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, sorry. yeah. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> we have to spell it. It's like a dog. <laughs> You know, uh, Mr. C-R-O-W-E does not make good films anymore. Right, Ken? <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> In other He's movie news, now. we have uh, confirmation that the Jurassic World franchise will be a trilogy. So get excited with the Jurassic <laughs> World trilogy. Uh, I just I want a trilogy of, of advanced footage, like from the first film, because that's what really <laughs> <brought it> out. <laughs> The, exactly. Remember that test footage? That was oh, like, it really looked like not if someone let Kent film it, if someone let me and Brian film it. Right. Yeah. It right. just gave us like three million dollars yeah. to make something with dinosaurs. That's what Brian and I would make. <laughs> what if he just dips into the water and snags a dude? Yeah. Yeah. Put that on there. Cool. The cool. Concept, Where's Dirk? Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the pitch footage. Yeah. Go go Wait, look man. that up, listener. Jurassic oh. World sizzle reel. Uh, <laughs> It's what they actually showed the studio to say, we need to make this movie. And it, it's like people on the beach at like a water park. And then all these pterodactyls start coming in and just eating everybody. <laughs> that's the that's the scene. 
and it's horrible. I remember disturbing. that was the early days when we did this podcast literally for just each other. Um, and uh, we th- that footage came out, and we did not know. We were really excited for Jurassic World. It ended up being obviously a good movie. Um, well, maybe not obviously a good movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's a good. successful, it's movie. successful, it's a successful, there you go. perfectly fine movie. But nah. anyway, that that's <laughs> that if you're on a cruise ship. But that <laughs> I left off that important caveat. But that footage was watching us. We're not that we're good at this now, but we were worse at it then. And watching us try to talk about that <laughs> footage is just the weirdest. Yeah, and like wasn't finished. We wanted that it was... to be good, you know. We're like, oh, yeah, it could. So I mean, it's just it's just concept, guys. It's just uh, it's just a rendering. <laughs> but yeah, so look forward to the upcoming dress. I mean, it's obvious because this the next one is going to make twice as much as the first or something. I don't know. It's going to be I'm huge. Out of the loop. Is Trevor directing that? No, it's J. A. Bayona who did that movie, The Impossible, about the tsunami. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. That's kind of a cool choice. There could be worse. I thought Trevorrow was kind of a cool choice until I saw the yeah. movie. I'm sorry. You gotta I this this <laughs> franchise has to kind of win me over. I need to be I need to be blown away. Like Jurassic World, go listen to our episode, by the way, now available on iTunes and wherever podcasts are sold. But look at that. Look at that awesome a, radioing right there. But it um what a pro. It just relied too much on the first one. And yeah. it <laughs> I mean, it was every scene was almost a callback to the first one, and it, it. I don't know. You can pay homage without going complete. I mean, we talked Stranger Things for an hour about this. You can pay homage without going completely yeah. all in on Star it. Wars. Did it too. Force right. Awakens. It, it, yeah. They both are very similar movies, but Force Awakens did it just enough, just le- less enough, if that's a proper English. Sure, which it's not, sure. but. Uh, and Jurassic Park just teetered over the edge and, and ended up suffering from it. But I think they have a good leading man, and there's there's something there that I'll I will always go see those. Oh yeah, sure, they're yeah. great popcorn flicks. I just want them to like, be. I get better. why they make them. Yeah, there's some things where I'm like, how much money do you need? You know, but with that one, it's like I can see why you keep making these. Sure, sure, absolutely, and they will Spice. be <laughs> released a trilogy. Speaking of big budget movies. Ben, ben Hur, <laughs> Ben Hur, guys, remember Ben Hur from two weeks ago? Gosh, uh, Ben Hur. Nope. We should do is, a no idea. Uh, we should do a uh, commentary on that when it comes out. <laughs> I don't want to do a four-hour commentary. That's what like. <laughs> it needs to be as long as the original. It needs to be longer. Um, That's what people liked about it is that it was long. Right. Yeah, it was epic. Part. It can't be epic without being really, really long. I hope you guys know that. So Ben Hur actually. They're starting to get the receipts on this one. The studio is. And it's uh, going to lose a whopping $120 million for... The GDP the of Iceland. Essentially, yes. No. <laughs> uh, uh, it's the biggest flop of the summer. The biggest bust, financial bust of the summer. And that's a summer that includes a lot of bad movies or non not successful movies compared to the budgets that they were given. So... I guess we told well, you good. so again. Yeah. So their next movie, MGM, who did Ben Hur. And what is MGM even up to? I need to. We need to do a little 
So Brian I Googled the out on of bankruptcy. Brian, do much. look up MGM and see what projects they have or have released because they're a studio we don't talk about too much. But it, uh, they're hoping that the Magnificent Seven can uh, mm-hmm. revive them here in a couple of weeks. But release dates indicate. Doesn't MGM they- own our favorite studio? Um, who is it that makes Now You See Me in the Twilight, aforementioned Twilight films? Summit. Summit? Yeah. I th- doesn't MGM own Summit? I think Sounds so. Great. So they're killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't really need the MGM straight to do no, well. I thought They've Summit was a Sony uh, Sony thing. Oh, no, it's Lionsgate. Lions- Lionsgate. 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 That's right. Because they're I, basically the same. Well, because MGM has a lion. This is how my brain works, and this is why I'll never succeed in anything in life. There's a lion on the MGM logo, <laughs> and thus the other one's called Lionsgate. And so my brain is like, can't. These yep. two things have to be the yeah, same. Can't separate them. Yeah. So it's been a uh, it's been a rough summer for a lot of big blockbusters, and also uh, apparently the BFG it cost 140 million, mm. and it's uh, it's made 165 globally. So slightly in the green on that one, but probably mm-hmm. not when you consider. It says it. Uh, it says here, according to the Hollywood Reporter, that the movie will lose between ninety and hundred million for Disney. Wow! That's not and good. Spielberg, when it's all said, a hundred million dollar loss on that movie. I just That's too bad. It wasn't. It was fine. It's just the. I guess yeah. the uh, interest wasn't no there. No audience. Yeah. No and, audience. And lastly, we have hashtag Alice <laughs> through the Looking Glass, oh. or Richard through the Looking Glass, by the way, available now. I had a, uh, a someone tweet to me today that they listened to it, which is really nice. And, uh, yeah, thank you for all of you, and I'm sorry. It was <laughs> <I> am too. <laughs> yeah. So it, it bombed. It cost, what? I did that for nothing? It cost $170. It, it uh, made almost 300 worldwide, but it's at least a $70 million loss for Disney on yeah. Alice Through the Looking Glass. They That's promoted fine, the crap out of that thing too. Right. They had to have lost a ton of money just on marketing. That's do you want to know because they should not have made what they made on the first one. So it probably right. averaged yeah, it out to out. like yeah. a proper gross for those two films. That's true. That's true. Hey, do you want to hear what MGM's got coming up? Yes, it's I do. Save their bacon. I want to hear yeah. what they have had out recently. Anything good in like the past two years? Two thousand. All right, I'm going to go back to fifteen. <laughs> oh my. Uh, they have had Hot Tub Time Machine 2. <laughs> right. Great movie. Uh, Hot Pursuit, the uh, Sofia Vergara Reese Witherspoon masterpiece. Uh, the Poltergeist oh, remake. Max, the movie about the marine dog or whatever. So that did well. Uh, uh, Spectre. Everyone they, in the world was like, that dog definitely dies. They should, the trailer <laughs> should have been like, the dog does not die. And then it probably right. would have doubled its gross. <laughs> yeah. Just if they didn't like, I don't worry. At the end of the day, the dog's fine. <laughs> Subtitle. Uh, so they they had Spectre and Creed, which we love Creed. Creed's great. Yeah. We, in fact, they should. I think MGM should be forced to sell away the rights to Creed slash Rocky based on and James Bond. what they have in 2016, which is How to Be Single, mm-hmm. uh, Barbershop, the next cut. Didn't that get decent reviews? Not kidding. Wasn't that I, like? I don't I, remember. I don't remember. Uh, me before you, yeah, you do that. Me before you, um, which was about assisted suicide, always a popular topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ben Hur, they got Magnificent Seven. Next year, they have Going in Style, which is directed by Zach Braff. 
I feel like that's all I need to say. And, <laughs> that, and that's it for 2017. But they're going to save it, guys, because in 2018, they have Nomeo and Juliet, Sherlock Gnomes coming out. <laughs> And uh, public domain, you yeah. can't do us. Everyone took it, we did it. <laughs> and Tomb Raider, so, oh, okay. you know, and then they'll they have two TBA uh, Bond 25, and then two extremely exciting properties that I think I, I personally can't wait to do uh, reviews of G.I. Joe 3 and Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters 2. Wow, well, so right, are they hiring or? I was going to say, should I buy stock now? (laughs) There was a time where Tom Cruise was going to buy MGM when he was like a pariah. I don't know if you guys remember this. Yeah. Yeah. He was like going to just buy MGM and release all of his movies through MGM. And that would have been like Tom Cruise as like in like a Tyler Perry type role would have been maybe the best thing that ever happened to me, including like anything in my personal life. (laughs) Just Tom Cruise, just three Tom Cruise movies here that he has total control over. I'm in. Oh, but Think of all the running. Gosh. We're going to play a game, guys, uh, called What is Barbershop the Next Cuts Rotten Tomato Score? Kent, you guess first, as you are the host of the show. Kent, Barbershop the Next Cut. It's Rotten Tomato Score is... I already know I'm not going to cheat on oh, this. So okay, I'll give Brian, Brian the uh, right to decide. Uh, I will go 56%. Final answer? Final answer. Barbershop the next cut is certified fresh. No way. 90%. No way. Huh. Whoa. Yeah. So MGM, I think maybe they'll just release like, Maybe MGM, like, just do, like, just make Creed and Barbershop movies. And, like, Romeo <laughs> and Juliet. That do well? Creed was and Creed was so good. It was Dad so good. It. Best. Gosh, I love that movie so Dad, much. Dad Gummit. So good. I watched that recently, like, maybe a month ago, and it I still had the exact same feelings that yeah, I'd had every so. previous time that I'd watched it. Like, I was just bawling, but also just super pumped and jacked up. Like, I could have gone and... I don't know, taking on ISIS or something. Just super excited. <laughs> Why but don't you? You just went, you went and took all that energy and organized your Chewbacca figures. Yeah, just rearranged from tallest to shortest or something. Did you have to get an extra bedroom where you're living just for the figures? <laughs> no, Chewbacca. we need storage, a Chewbacca room. Man. Like having oh, a child. It's climate storage. controlled, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Obviously. Of course, obviously. Yeah. Got to. <laughs> so. I make Lindsay sell plasma so we can get the climate control. <laughs> so, uh, all that to say, uh, with the BFG and with Alice, um, Disney's still well in the green for the summer, for the year, because they had Captain America and Finding Dory. And wow, they yeah. have Star Wars coming out later this year as well. So they'll be, so up, they'll they'll be, be up. That little company called Disney is going to make it, folks. They'll, they'll do all right. And they also have <laughs> Doctor Strange. i put my bets on them. Yeah. Doctor Strange, too. So that's kind of some box office news there we got. Um, also in movie news... Last note we'll hit before we talk solely is Fox has acquired the rights to Stan Lee's life, and they're going to make a biopic of some kind of Stan Lee. Wow. So that could be cool. You okay, Kent? You all right? Yeah. Like, that's big news for you. I've seen a um, – Brian Cranston did a recent movie, and somebody photoshopped a 
Stan Lee movie poster with Brian Cranston in the lead, like in the glasses and stuff. And it looked really cool. And like that would be an awesome movie if it was Cranston as Stan Lee, like during the times when all these popular comics started to become really popular. You know, like in his midlife. Not like I'm sure they'll have it'll be really like biopic y uh Typical of oh here's him when he was younger in his twenties now he's in his and 30s. his brother it's like fell all, in a well yeah and it's all different Blue's actors and it's really <laughs> lame um, but Cranston as Stan Lee in his midlife would be really cool and just have Stan Lee play himself in his later years I mean he could still That'd do it cool. I think that would be awesome but uh, you guys don't Sorry, like biopics as much as I do but I'm excited for this I like them when they're done well bad news though. Can't cast as Stan Lee, and it's a great idea. It's it's John Krasinski. Sorry, man. It's <laughs> gonna be terrible. I saw. I did see Krasinski got cast in Catherine Bigelow's Detroit. Oh riots. no! I know, and it's exactly. I know, like, oh man, this is just somehow gonna go south so quickly. Poor guy. Any thoughts on who you would want to see play Stan Lee? Maybe in some capacity uh, you know mm. it, it'd be too obvious um brian cranston's really good kent you're you're dead on there um it'd be too obvious because of the tie to the universe and all that but i think robert downey jr would have been awesome oh yeah that's yeah. great do it make it happen and it'll just sort of weirdly tie into the the uh, mcu just let it happen <laughs> Come on. i i i would not be opposed to that um i mean would you be opposed to him playing anybody though robert downey jr i I mean you know he he has in the last few years (laughs) he's a tropic thunder like think about that i mean he's played (laughs) almost any person you can play i mean he had and he's pulled it he was like a he he was nominated for an oscar for that movie i think that movie was (laughs) unbelievably just in concept in scope and in execution that is like a top 10 movie ever in terms of like difficulty to pull off and killing it Mm. I think it killed Ben Stiller, though. <laughs> Put but all he, of his creative energy into that. Yeah, it's one like movie. when Chet Stedman threw all of his energy into the, that one pitch in Rookie of the Year, <laughs> that one last fastball. That was Ben Stiller. He threw the high, stinky Limburger one last time. That's so funny. Man. <laughs> hey, kid, come here. Oh. Wow. Come on, give me, give me a guard. Stedman. It's, my favorite it's not rocking anymore, about, and I don't yeah. do autographs. Favorite part <laughs> about Rookie of the Year is that they let <laughs> they let Gary Busey hang out with a kid just all the time <laughs> for for I don't know four months of filming. Yeah. Just I wish think you about could how scarred that, that guy is. Yeah, yeah, I wish I could bet on Thomas Ian Nicholas or whatever his name is murdering his whole <laughs> <Yeah>. family <laughs> at some point. Wow. And he just goes into court. And he's like, "Look, my mom thought it was a good idea to have me hang out with Gary Busey for nine months." Innocent. <laughs> Insanity. Man, we had a great Ben Stiller talk during Zoolander. I'm just flashing back to it. Oh, man, gosh. what what a time, man. What a that. time. That's all I got to say. All right, guys. Let's uh, take a short break and then come back and then talk solely. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. 
Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I don't really know where you guys came down on this one as far as anticipation goes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was kind of one that we saw. We saw that was coming out. We saw, we knew that we would need to talk about it, see it. Uh, I wasn't necessarily excited for this one, but I was kind of curious just to see. I'm always interested in American Treasure Tom Hanks, anything he does, how he can push movies from being bad movies to decent movies. Oftentimes he's done that with a lot of uh, Ron Howard's work, but he can always uh, do something interesting, even with uh, different directors. I, I, I mean, he made Cloud Atlas interesting in a lot of ways. You know, you guys hated that, but um, <laughs> Tom Hanks like brought it in that movie in a lot of ways. So it's cool. Uh, so to weird see him. still that he was in that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he is an actor that takes risks and kind of can kind of have fun. Yes. And he is like super mad that he's not like with Marvel right now. You know, he's like, I would love to do that, but nobody has asked me ever to do a big movie like that. Like he loves that kind of stuff, like doing the big blockbuster and all that. But the stuff he gets asked to do is always the Oscar-y type stuff. And, and it's great work and he works with great people, but he would love to be in the MCU. <laughs> you know, he would love to be the or, Flash or something. What about Super Jack Tom Hanks in the DCU? <laughs> That's what I mean. He's, he said he wanted to be the Flash. That's the DCU. But I think yeah, he's come on, I been on the record saying he wants to be the Flash. Just H- fill Tom Hanks with HGH. And let's just see what happens. Put him on the uh, J.K. Simmons diet. <laughs> Every see. time I see those, uh, is it State Farm or <laughs> yeah, Farmers Insurance? Yeah, farmers, farmers, insurance. farmers. That's Thank right. You. I'm always like, oh man, underneath that sweater vest and his weird like <laughs> right? pocket, she's crazy yoked. <laughs> just, just veins everywhere. Yeah. So I wasn't if necessarily Ericos. Um, I wasn't really <laughs> yeah. I wasn't dreading this one, but like I said, I did I did want to see it. 
But um, general thoughts for me are um, I like what uh, Clint Eastwood is trying to do with a lot of his later work, I guess, is try to kind of do more inspirational stories, more uh, stuff kind of bound in more truth than a lot of his uh, earlier stuff was. And uh, he's kind of can become more of a more respectable Oliver Stone in a sense. Like, oh, Clint Eastwood's doing this, uh, you know, doing American Sniper, for example. Uh, nobody kind of shuddered at that when that was announced. Everybody was kind of excited for it. I feel like if, if they said Oliver Stone is doing American Sniper, I would be like, oh, God. You know, like, <laughs> what is that? Like, how is that going to disparage Chris Kyle any more than he already has been by the media? Sure. This is going to be good is what people were saying with Clint Eastwood and it ended up, like I said, being a Best Picture nominee and um, living up to the expectation. I think it exceeded my expectation for what I thought it was going to be. I uh, still don't... It wasn't in my top ten that year or anything like that, but uh, I thought it was a respectable effort, especially by Bradley Cooper. Having said that, yeah. um, this movie is so tame. Um, it's really surprising in a way that they made this into a movie. Um, there's not a mm. lot to this story other yeah. than the event, which, you know, they, they rehash several times in the movie due to the fact that it, it was a one minute event that happened mm-hmm. re- in real time. And, uh, they kind of have to revisit the event. Um, I wasn't very familiar with this. Uh, I remember when it happened, I remember Sully and everything going on the talk show circuit and, uh, you know, reading the story, reading the New York Post story and all that at the time, but um, didn't think much of it. I, would, I had no idea about the, um, the legal case afterward. I had no idea about any of the backlash against Sully. I still thought he was kind of the American hero guy and kind of rode off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know anything about uh, the lawsuits. So... Or the investigation, if you will. So it's uh, sure. it was interesting from that perspective, from just like being from being informed on the situation more, and kind of giving me more of a background story on on what really happened. But I thought Clint did a good job with this movie. Um, this is not an easy movie to make. A lot of directors would really screw this one up, and I think he he really relies on his cast here. He relies on Tom Hanks, but. When the, the announcement was made that Tom Hanks was going to play this character, I was kind of nervous because I knew Sully, I knew his personality, and I didn't know how that would match with Tom Hanks. I don't know how well he would personify or could he could really get into the person of Sully, how much I would be convinced that he was Sully. But yeah. he did a great job in this movie of convincing me that he was Sully. Uh, the gray hair, the mustache... I could tell he put on some weight for this. I don't know if Sully's a particularly large man, but I think Tom did it just to more of distort himself to to distract you from the fact that it's Tom Hanks there, you know? Um, so I appreciated that, but I thought he did a great job. Um, I think my problems with the movie and just have to do with the script and how Clint Eastwood thinks every movie needs to have certain elements that I don't think this movie needed to have. This movie could have yeah. been such a more isolated experience like uh, like Danny Boyle's Steve Jobs movie was last year where you're kind of just experiencing a few dialogues, really, with these characters, and that tells the story. You know, this could have been maybe the event and a couple of court scenes, you know, and then a couple flashing back to the event or 
you know, earlier that day of the event or things like that, rather than um, going into Soli's personal life like they try to do. I, I understand you're trying to be sympathetic towards Soli, but we're already sympathetic towards Soli because he saved everybody's life. That's the only mm-hmm. thing we need to be on that guy's side. We know he saved everybody's life because he did. It's a fact. Uh, those people would be dead if, you know, not for him. That's his argument. So, um, that being said, I didn't, I didn't really like how they go into, like I said, his personal life, but how he's about to lose his house and how he's got this other business. And so I just didn't, that's a cool, I guess, factoid, you know, maybe, but I guess, yeah, I, I just don't care as an audience member. Um, I didn't even care about his wife, to be honest. Uh, no. you know what I mean? Like I, I just, that kind of distracted me from what I was enjoying about this movie. And, uh, that's a bummer because I feel like he t- kind of tried to do the same thing with, um, American sniper I mean, mm-hmm. that was a lot. That a lot of the story of Chris Kyle, it does have to do with his kids and his wife because he did die at a young age. And, uh, you know, anytime you leave little kids behind or a, a widow behind, it's a very sad deal. But that movie relied too much on that, too, and less on, like, Chris Kyle and his experiences overseas and how he had to get over that uh, and how that ultimately led to him mentoring people. I wanted to learn more of that instead of, how did him and his wife fall in love at a bar and then made out later that night and all that, you know, that's, uh, I mean, this movie kind of had too much of that for me. Um, but the stuff with Tom Hanks, the stuff with actual events, like while it's playing out, like the, to me, this movie could have been a perfect combination of the social network or Steve jobs and like United 93. Like mm-hmm. you're, yeah. you're cutting yeah. from you like, uh, real time the event unfolding you know and and what they're talking about in court could be the event and be like are you you know mr sullivan it says here at eight thirty eight, you pulled the uh the plane 30 degrees left is that true yes that's true and then bam it flashes to him in that moment and those things are happening and it, it could could have been this really cool back and mm-hmm. forth kind of a thing and it would have worked a lot better and been more dramatic and all that it still would have had the ending that clint eastwood got with this and the conclusion, uh, but I think it would have maybe worked better. And uh, it's just sad that I didn't direct this because I could have done a, maybe a, <laughs> maybe I had a better vision for this movie. But um, that being said, the stuff that I did get, uh, I liked. I think the effects were really well done with the actual plane and the recreation of the event. I thought it was very realistic and frightening, honestly. Um, this movie made me really, really respect pilots a lot more. Uh, you really do take it for granted when you get on an airplane and you're just like, you don't even see the guy. And you're like, yeah, they'll get me there, whatever. You know, the odds of anything happening are low. But when they do, you expect them to do everything. You know, you're literally putting your life in their hands. And just the amount of flights that I've been on in my life and I'm going on one this weekend and everything, it's like the amount of times it's happened great for me. I always take that for granted, you know, the the safe flight and everything. And um Wow, what a hero he was solely. And um, just how many pilots there are every day doing that kind of stuff and making those kinds of decisions is very eye-opening. So I appreciated that that movie brought that to me. But I've been talking for like 10 minutes. Um, Overall, just general thoughts, though, is um, I don't really know where I stand on this. (laughs) That's kind of – 
I, I think I'll know more at the end of this conversation, but Brian, sure. where do you fall? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with when you talked about here's how I would have done this movie, right? Like here's how we could have made this uh, a little more interesting, a little more uh, modern. And and I think you do that by not having an 86 year old direct the movie. Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage Clint Eastwood because his, uh, you know, the first like four decades of his career are fantastic. Um, I don't know when I don't like his sensibilities at all as a director. So I'm, I just upfront, I'm very, I guess I'm very biased against his, uh, his style and his, his, uh, vision for movies. I'm looking at his IMDb and I, I mean, mystic river is probably the last thing that, that I even sort of remotely enjoyed that he has directed. And that was 2003. And before that, you're going back to like unforgiven in a perfect world. Another 10 years before that. Like, I just, I don't care for what he, he does on screen. I respect him. I know he's, you didn't you know, see space cowboys. <laughs> sure. Of course. <laughs> uh, I, I did forget that space epic. Uh, look, oh, he, Ken, he, I did an episode on that last week. <laughs> oh, weird. You guys didn't invite me. That sucks. Um, he appeals nope. to the, look. He appeals to the older uh, Oscar voter crowd, and that's that's fine. I'm not in that crowd. Um, I can debate. Like, <laughs> yeah, the, right. Uh, I just watching this movie. I was hit with two things. One, that Tom Hanks is great, and this is probably not a a truly great performance by tom hanks or it's by his standards you know compared to some of his other great work but very good tom hanks is better than almost everybody else is great and he's he carries the movie it reminded me a lot of american sniper in that i can't remember what grade i gave that movie but i think it was like a b or b minus or something Mm -hmm. and it was completely based on how good bradley cooper was like if you would have if if bradley cooper's performance would have been just good not oscar nominee worthy that's a to me that's a d movie like i could not stand american sniper and and this is not quite to that level but but i think very similar and the number number two is just gosh michael malley um, yeah so good <laughs> right it, if you just put if, if i if you put any director uh in the chair there in the the, the infamous chair and just said, hey, can you can you turn this movie into something that's like even remotely uh, interesting and, and well paced? I feel like I feel like really really average directors could pull that off at this point. And to, for the for me, it did it doesn't exist here. Like I just like there's a reason why athletes retire at a certain age, right? Like you can't. Peyton Manning could not play football last year. He managed to win a Super Bowl. But if he would have come back this year, it would have been very sad for for us to watch and see him not be able to do the stuff that he's supposed to be able to do. I think Clint Eastwood was was a very was a great director at one point, but he's 86 years old. And his sensibilities at this point, it's got to be partly just general. uh, (laughs) I'm old. It's hard for me to do all this stuff, but but also can't like as you reference, here's how we would have cut back and forth and all that sort of stuff. I don't think he knows how to do that. Like, I just don't think he, I don't think he sees narrative structure in the way that we, we want probably, 
we want it to look like <laughs> in 2016. You know, I mean, his. I just feel like this movie would be really good in 1993, and in <laughs> 2016, right, it's not. It just, I was completely dumbstruck by the fact that we did not get they talk over and over and over again about how this entire sequence takes 208 seconds we have 208 seconds to get this you know get this whole thing figured out and they net we we never got a full 208 second shot until the very end like we don't see that entire sequence in one scene that would have been end. great and if you do. That like, is a massive misstep. You do a, a tracking massive. shot like in the plane yes. or something, yes. and you can cut between the cockpit and the passengers. They kind of do that here, though. They do kind of have one, but it's never. For, it's it starts it's, when I think they take off, and then the actual geese incident happens, and that's it. Like they never yes. go. Yes. They and then they cut away to something else, and then go back to when the plane hits the water in another scene. Right. It's kind of split it, up. Yeah. It's it's cut up and it's yeah. it's all over the place and I get why he did that because it makes sense from his, I guess his worldview of this particular story in this film. But that's not that's not how we see film anymore. That's not how we want to watch film anymore. That's that that kind of tracking shot you can get on an episode of like Sons of Anarchy now. You know, it, it's it's not uh, it just is a bad. I just don't think he can make a good movie anymore. I don't think he's capable of, of, of at least, I'll say, at well, least he, a movie he, that appeals to me at 33 years old. Yeah, I mean, to say he can't make a good movie is, I mean, his last movie was nominated for Best Picture. I, I mean, get that. I hate all those movies. Like, I, I, I'm not like I'm looking at his his filmography. I thought Invictus was okay. And I don't that like was, Invictus. I yeah, actively I, dislike Invictus. Sure. No that I like Damon. Inv the pattern here is that you know, Invictus is to me. Invictus works to a certain degree because Matt Damon is really good, and American Sniper is not a total train wreck because Bradley Cooper is really good. And on down the line, and so, you know, I, I guess I give him credit for either a ca casting correctly or b just being able to get a good performance out of his leading man. When and that's you know that's worth something. But when everything else around it is crap, I just I can't get there and. Again, I know and my sensibility is different than whatever, um, you know, the Oscar voters are. And clearly some of the, the reviewers on, on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's fine for me personally. I, I can't I can't look at his filmography and think any of these hardly any of these it's, movies it's, are, are good. Brian, at this, for it's me, like he has the best of intentions. Like, l listen yes. to this. Yeah. Flags of our fathers. Right. Yeah. Letters from Iwo Jima. Right, those were the, the same year, right. by the way. Uh, yeah. J. Edgar, like these, all mm. had the best of intentions and on paper looked great, uh, but just didn't get there. You know, just yeah. never, never reached the even minimum potential that we thought they had. Right. I just, I that. think he's making movies in the past, but jaded with his his kind of own frustrations with with the modern world. Does that make sense? Like, it's I don't know. It's it's kind of frustrating, and it it's a bummer because it's asserting I'm, a certain kind of classic hero. Sure, like that, and demanding. Yeah, right. That yeah. we're past as a society, or that I don't know. I don't. I don't need. You know. I, 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 it's frustrating because I. When I went into the movie, I thought I'm not sure that there's a whole 
like story here. Like, I don't know that this is a cinematic story, kind of what you were saying, Kent. And then it gets, it gets going and I start to feel like, okay, this, this actually does make sense in a cinematic world and could make for a good movie, but I don't, I don't think it's this. And that's, that frustrates me. Yeah. Richard, any general thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I probably lean a a bit uh, more towards Brian, not as extreme, but you know, Eastwood's not one of my favorite directors of, of the last 20 years. Um, But you know, I, I I didn't like. I think American Sniper is is I do like it uh, more than Brian. I think it's a good movie in a lot of ways. There's some really um, <laughs> uh, terrible parts uh, for sure. Well, most importantly, the baby. Um, <laughs> but uh, but there's some there's some good stuff there, and it's to me it's you're right, Brian, that his you know maybe this the world has passed him by a bit, but there is something interesting and sometimes kind of retro and cool about the kind of movies he chooses to make. And this, uh, I think is a better film than American sniper as well. Um, and I went into it not, I just thought the marketing was terrible. Mm -hmm. And then I read some reviews and they were like very high on this. So I was just really confused. I, you know, it's, it's not that I went with a blank slate, but I went in with a slate with chalk just all over it in random directions. (laughs) And, uh, and so it was, it was, I had no feelings cause I just didn't know. And I, I can't say I didn't like, I really, a lot of this movie was, I thought, uh, some of the, the narrative structure was interesting, uh, with the, the, the way you're, you're right, Kent, they could have done it, um, cleaner and more of the Steve Jobs. Could, type no, way I like, mean, it could have been more, uh, not fast paced, but more, you could have cut. You could have cut more of the junk of this movie. You could have done another edit of this Absolutely. and made it totally. a, a more sharp, a more focused film. It's well, not that's what's that it doesn't work. About... It's just kind of watered down. And it could totally. have been so much more dramatic than it, than it is. Right. And I think two things on that. So, so one, despite Eastwood's reputation as kind of a mythic uh, figure in, in, in film history, as a director – though he's had a lot of success, he's known as like the quickest worker ever one taken mm-hmm. done. Right. So I think a lot of that's here and I'm sure his editing is the same way. Like, okay, we lock the scene moving on probably doesn't overthink too much, uh, in terms of, Oh, we're losing momentum here. We think, I think he, I think he shoots what he wants to shoot edits it, edits it into a, uh, you know, feasible and understandable narrative. And he, he's done and he's on to the next movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I think, you know, not only is he always worked that way, but, you know, he's 80 whatever and he, he's interested in doing as many of these as he can, which I, I get. So you do lose a little bit there. I think the second thing is he's he's trying to to uh, sh- show kind of paradoxically two different things. It's it's this hero who saved all these lives, but that this hero um the drama does not come from his greatness. It comes from his like normalness mm-hmm. and his, his her, her, heroism comes from his kind of plainness and inherent goodness, whatever that means. And that, that probably means something different to Eastwood than to He seems to like me. a very genuine man, you know, like a, right. How could this man do anything wrong? Like how could anyone be against him? And a hearkening back to, you know, a more apolitical time and all of these things. So I, I, 
certainly understand that. I get what he was trying to do. Did he pull it off perfectly or even very well? No. Uh, but I think a lot of that is he's a director that though he's stern and um, hyper masculine and all of these things, he's also uh, very quick. And sometimes because of his quickness, a result of that is a very, and I think this is what Brian rebels against because Brian loves heart more than anything. It's, and it's mm-hmm. like he loses depth a lot of times because of the speed at which I think he makes films and through the way that he interprets them. Sure. He might make them too fast. You're right. Maybe if he just relaxed a little bit and kind of spent more time on it, he he could do better work. Who knows? But I'll move on to some problems I had with the movie. I guess we can hit spoilers now. So spoilers coming up for Sully. But uh, it's a movie based on the plane crashes, a real life event. <laughs> so if you know that the event happened, there's not much we can spoil narratively for you. But I am going to spoil how they go about it. So spoilers coming up right now for Sully. Um, the movie opens with a dream sequence, I guess you yeah. could say, a nightmare sequence with the plane mm. uh, crashing over New York. Um, very effective way to open the movie. I I knew I kind of knew I was like this is gonna be a dream, uh, like right when it started it kind of happened because it obviously doesn't happen like that in real life. But so I was thinking, oh wow, cool, great way to start this movie off. You know, high tension. I introduced the character and everything, but uh, they go back to that like three times in the movie, mm. the dreams, and it's just too much. Uh, this yeah. is. I hate to say this is post 9-11. We don't need to see planes crashing into buildings in New York uh, just for fun anymore. We I don't mm. know why they had to keep showing that. Like what? You know what I mean? The 90s where it was all of our favorite coffee. No, but no, I know exactly what you mean. You're like it almost seems insensitive at this point. Like somebody wasn't like, uh, Clint, you sure you don't want to show planes crashing into buildings in New York? Um, shut up, time chair. Yeah, shut up. <laughs> Like I think I feel like doing it in that opening scene works so well, and that's enough. You know, it really killed the impact of that moment when they came back to it. When he's like staring out the window and having the like post-traumatic stress flashbacks to uh, that day, and I guess it kind of in his mind is like he keeps. The point we're trying to get across is he keeps replaying the moment over in his mind. Like, had he done something else, what would the result have been? Um, he's kind of battling internally on if he made the right decision when it's mm-hmm. all said and done. And I think he takes it to heart. He knows that uh, he made the right call, but I guess he's just upset that everybody is doubting him. Um, let's talk about the supporting cast a little bit. Aaron Eckhart in this movie. What do we think of Aaron Eckhart? I like uh, Aaron Eckhart, but he... He's one of these. He's one of the actors that is like. It's almost like you like him in spite of his career. Like I, I don't know what Aaron Eckhart has done outside of I the Dark Knight that has made me, that has made me actually uh, like him. But he just kind of has. Maybe it's like an everyman quality or something where you're just like, oh, there's Aaron Eckhart. I like that guy. And then you start thinking, boy, he's not. He's not done much good work. I don't really know what I enjoy about him, but. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. There's kind not of the comic relief like of this movie. 
Yeah, in he a has, way, like, the more com- comedic yeah. lines. Sure. But, I mean, he's. I don't know what it is about him because he doesn't really deserve my my affection in any way because he's got a terrible resume to be honest with you. But I do like him and I don't hate him in this role. I thought outside of Hanks, he is, I think easily gives the best performance and not uh, inconsequentially has the, uh, the most character depth to work with. I think that's a major problem. Dude, I'm serious. Michael Malley brings it in this movie. Like he goes toe to toe with Hanks and, and a lot of this, he's so good. Why? But his but his script the script for him is so is bad. bad. He's just it's terrible. Like I mean, I was you, cringing for him. When you're used to going toe to toe with Anthony Clark on Young, <laughs> you know you have to. Hanks is not all of a sudden yeah. doesn't seem like Everest. You know he's he's climbable. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the, you've done the, you you've you've summited Mount McKinley. So Everest is not that the yeah. most O'Malley O'Malleys of all time. <laughs> Mike O'Malley, spill your guts, man. Love that guy, but good to see him. Anna Gunn, like I guess she just needs work because hers is like a two line oh. part for her in this. Yeah, it's weird. it's really kind of cringy. Like I kept looking at her because she's in a lot of scenes where she says nothing. I'm mm. like, why is Anna Gunn sitting there? <laughs> they not, did they really hire her for a part that doesn't speak because she's yeah. just trying to get work? I didn't understand. Post Breaking Bad, had, it's rough. Yeah. I think she had five lines in the entire movie, so that's good. Definitely worth her time. So since Breaking Bad, she's done a cameo on the Mindy Project, a that show Grace Point. Remember that on Fox? Yeah, yeah. The remake, Broadchurch remake. She's Broadchurch. done. Yeah, she's done an episode of Criminal Minds, an episode of Portlandia, an episode mm-hmm. of Robot Chicken, and Sully. So that's good. it. <laughs> Good. I guess she's she has she's, a, she's, she's, she's living off that show. street cash. She was making yeah, like a million totally. episode at the when it was at the end of Breaking Bad. Like her and Cranston yeah. were killing it. But go ahead, sorry. Brian. She's got a show coming out. I can't remember what network it's on, but they're. I think I think it's coming in the the spring maybe. So she has something happening. She's good. She's such a good actress. Yeah. They don't use her at all. They don't use her at all. And the same for same for Laura Linney. Like I came home and was talking to my wife about it. And was just mm. like. I feel awful for for all these women <laughs> in this industry where perpetually their characters all they do is just either nag or just sit there. Like they neither of these characters are asked to do anything except Laura Lenny to be kind of annoying and that's, that's not I don't understand. Oh. I noticed this. Why why does she call her husband Sully? That's a really weird thing. I don't know, like, was that his name? No, his name's not Sully. It's his nickname because of Sullenberger. But why, A, does she call him Sully? Like, if your name's, like, Brian, if your nickname was T-Bone, your wife is, wouldn't be right? like, but T-Bone, Correct. we need to, she'd call you Brian. I'm pretty sure. Clearly, you've never hung out with me and my when, wife. Uh, okay. When I, <laughs> Ken will know who I'm talking about. I'm going to try to protect the names here. Um, when Ken and I went to high school, we went to high school with we went with this kid, and to protect his name, we'll just say his last name was Landfill. And um, his first name was Laramie. And um, everyone called him Landfill in the world, um, or something that was his actual last name. And then one time I went over there, and his mom was like, Landfill! Dinner! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. <laughs> at, 
And I was like, your mom calls you landfill? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Maybe his wife did call her, call him Sully, but it's just, it's just so jarring for her it to be on the jarring, phone. Yeah. And, Bro, and she says it, there. she says it like seven times in the phone call. Yeah. She says Sully. Uh, she's like, Sully, it's okay, Sully. We, Sully, we just need, <laughs> you just need to calm down, Sully. It's, it's fine, Sully. Like, who you says somebody's name that many times to begin with? Maybe it's just the script being that were, poor, but you were married to a guy named Chesley. <laughs> you might go nickname. Yeah. yeah, it may be him. He may be just saying, no, call me Sully. Literally everybody <laughs> call me Sully. Uh, Very weird. Otherwise it's Chesley. Yeah. yeah. And that just that makes me seem like I might be a dachshund or something. <laughs> Nobody should call him that. Chesley. Or a butler. Chesley. <laughs> yeah. he, please. So funny to see Katie Couric in this movie trying to, to be ten years ago, Katie Couric, or nine years ago, whatever it is. Um, that's funny. She was, uh, flashing back to her days as the evening news anchor, I guess. Or something like that. When she got that money post today show, keep getting them checks, Katie Couric. Yeah. I love Where is she now? Is she on like Yahoo or something? Is that still a thing? I don't even know. Like I was thinking that during the movie. I was like, what's she doing these days? All those people. Remember, uh, Dan Rather and, uh, Larry King and Katie Couric have all gone to just internet. Like Dan, mm. no, Dan Rather is on like. Mark Cuban's uh, yeah. cable network. Like he hired access. Like Dan rather retired. And then Mark Cuban's like, I'll pay you XX and X to do a show on my network. He's like done, mm-hmm. you know, and you can do I it. Like whatever you, want. Uh, yeah. you can find my show on the Hulu. <laughs> the Hulu. Yeah. On the Hulu. And he, he Larry interviews King. like tonight. We got the former bass player of taking back Sunday tonight. <laughs> like he's interviewing <laughs> these kinds of people. Every once in a while, why did you leave the band? It's like it's a it's basically a podcast, but he doesn't know it, and so it's a really kind of oddly fascinating watch. I recommend if Larry King ever gets a guest you're kind of interested in, please watch his show on. It's on like Aura TV and Hulu, whatever that is. The Hulu, you have to watch it because he still thinks he's on CNN. I think they just didn't bother to tell him. And no, no, Larry, this is like CNN, but it's the internet. Oh, okay, that's all I need to know. <laughs> Never the been best, on the internet. <laughs> the best is Larry King tweets every Sunday night. These my two cents, called, yeah. My two cents. And it's basically, he used to do this thing in this column called, it, first it was called King's Things, and it was My Two Cents, I think, in USA Today. And it's just random thoughts. But, um, he and Brian loves this. This is Brian's favorite trivia. Mm-hmm. Larry King, because he's, I think, 145 years old. Um, happy birthday, Larry King. Uh, can't tweet. And so he has a voicemail box that he just calls and leaves the tweet in the voicemail box. And then some intern or something has to type it in the Twitter. It's that the is amazing. King's things. Wow. So King, Larry, King, Larry King tangent in the uh, Sully. But uh, that was funny how they were flashing back to kind of his media circus after all this happened. And I liked the scene where they spliced him into Letterman. Like you could tell it was an actual Letterman episode that they like digitally spliced uh, the Mm -hmm. actors into. I thought that was cool. Uh, Kind of Forrest Gumpy, you know. (laughs) And uh, so that was, I guess... They didn't ask Letterman to reprise his role like they did Katie Couric. Like, or he, wouldn't, gonna... he wouldn't shave the beard. He wouldn't shave all. the beard. It was jarring. It probably, yeah. probably wouldn't surprise me if that was the case or if this was <laughs> happening during his whole about to leave thing and he just didn't want to deal with it. 
And how awesome would that have been if, like, before they tore that whole set down, they shot this scene, you know, and, like, we had been waiting for a year. Like, this is the last thing we ever saw of that studio was in this movie. That would have been a cool kind of would have. trivia thing. Um, but I thought it was cool, nonetheless, how they spliced it. They had those two it. really cool chairs on the Letterman set that I'm sure Eastwood would have loved to scream at. Those, you yes. know, those big plus yeah. chairs that yep. guests used to sit on. I yep. mean, that's prime real estate for him right there. It is. It's so funny. Uh, I heard they just <laughs> with that show, they they literally like within three hours after the last episode, that place was just empty. <laughs> I, I, I wonder where all that stuff is. It was all there was pictures of it. It literally, I mean, I'm sure like they in kept dumpsters some stuff yeah. for the Smithsonian, but yeah, you could like just walk up and just like take stuff out like of the, the dumpster. Griffin's show set. You can set it up in your living room and have a talk show. <laughs> right. It's a great exactly. bit from Seinfeld. What's that show? Is. Not familiar. Sorry. No. Oh, it's, no? it's too cool. Just kidding. Well, let's let's explain it, it to him, uh, <laughs> Brian, for the next 30 minutes. Let's just do that. No. It's a show about nothing. <laughs> so. The first person to say that. I always thought in this, um, there's a part in this where they kind of hint that, oh, uh, Anna Gunn, I think, one of her, maybe her only early line in the movie is, uh, we're going to, okay, find the engine. We'll address that at a later date. You know that we, the the engine is gone. It's in the river. Uh, we it can't be salvaged, but we can find that later. So you know that's going to come into play later, right? And if it does, that's like that. The whole story hinges on well, did the left engine go out or not? Because if it didn't go out, then he obviously could have made it. You know, really, that's the entire question. Um, and so they do come back to that. So I appreciated that. But I also, they also hint at. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna listen to the recording of the flight, the flight recorder, the black box, um, and that's gonna tell us exactly what they were thinking and saying while this was happening. Uh, because again, they 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 do a good job, I think, at the very beginning of showing it from the perspective of the air traffic controller, uh huh, and not cutting back to Sully. You know, Sully kind of calls yeah. him and says. Uh, prepare for impact or something and that's the last you hear and then the air traffic controller is kind of freaking out about it but so they they hint that they're going to hear the recording okay and um so we get the long sequence i mentioned earlier of okay now we actually get to see the event i don't know why they have this kind of preface of these three brothers going on a fishing trip and like running to the airport airplane and like oh we almost missed the flight and all this stuff what those characters didn't mean anything. They they were just pointless. I guess we had to follow somebody besides Sully, like, on the flight. But it really, like, as soon as the events happened, we didn't hear from those characters again in the movie. It was just, like, very, very forced, I felt like. Um, but, mm-hmm. so, we get that. Um, the, the flight attendants are all telling everybody to get um, get ready. And then, we cut to the cockpit. We see them going through their pre-flight check. Uh, Sully and Aaron Eckhart, and they start the flight recorder, and then they start talking about, um, I can't say the word, but you're uh, you're a BSer, uh, aren't you? You know, he's talking about Sully. Like I saw your website. You you're right. acting like you're some hotshot. You're a total BSer. I totally thought and. Forgive me, I th- because maybe this is what I would have done. I totally thought that that was going to come into play, like in court. They were going to mm-hmm. have evidence of him saying, "Well, you you said Mister Sullenberger was a BSer." 
Uh, <laughs> why? What makes us think we he is not BSing about what actually happened or this or anything or whether he thought thought he couldn't make it back to the airport? You know, like that would have been like a character flaw in Sully that could have come back to like bite him, or just that mm-hmm. little exchange could have like been very dramatic. But it's never mentioned again, and they never, I guess, recorded that or used it as a, as evidence. But in the movie, at that moment, I was like, okay, they're, this is going to come up again, and this is going to. This is going to be what ultimately does him in or gives him away. But it didn't. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's, again, a choice I would have made as director. But if it didn't happen in real life, I can see why he wouldn't put that in there. But um it would have been a dramatic uh, sequence nonetheless. Did you guys sure. notice anything during this movie that uh, maybe foreshadowing-wise or anything like that that, um, that came into play later? How did we like the actual scene of uh, the plane crash? I think once they actually, once he actually showed it, it worked okay. I mean, it was, you know, it was an interesting sequence. And before we got to all the people in the plane, like there's so much overacting taking place with every uh, background character and every supporting actor and stuff that I just, I was so, I was so beaten with it by the time we got to. It's, it's, it was terrible. It was awful on that front. Like just a, a, a massive collection of horrible overacting by pretty much everybody who's not Tom Hanks or uh, or Aaron Eckhart or or O'Malley, my boy. Um, but I, you know, the sequences of them in the cockpit and then the actual like from the outside of the plane, the crashing and stuff. That's well, it was well done. It was very cinematic and it looked good. And um, I just you want i wanted more of that i wanted to find a way to i would have opened the movie with that i think just straight off the bat instead of the dream sequence i think i just would have immediately dropped it into that because i think that would have led to some higher stakes in some way i get why he he did it the way he did you you know you're trying to build to something rather than show it right up front and and i understand that but there just wasn't enough to build with here or at least the way he he decided to tell the story so by the and time also he, after flight it was hard yeah. to top. I mean, it's not that that's a good movie, but in terms of like the crash mm-hmm. sequences and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's. Yeah. It, it, I think this crash sequences are well done, but the movie kind of ends on the investigation and more of an extended sequence of the actual hearing. And they have the flight simulators, the simultaneous flight simulators. And I didn't know that that's how they did it. So that was informative to me. But it was a cool moment, and the whole case kind of hinged on how many times did they rehearse the thing. Okay, so basically the flight simulators proved that you could get back to the airport with the damage that was done. Um, But they said um, the people doing the flight simulation had rehearsed it, what, 17 times Mm -hmm. before that actual demonstration that they showed for court. So Soli's whole point was in the heat of the moment with nothing – with, uh, I think, 30 seconds to uh, react or whatever I think it was, he said, um, you couldn't do it. And they ended up crashing on the runway, I think, on the second try with the reaction time uh, taken into effect. So that's um, that was a pivotal moment, and it, it was effective for me cinematically. I... I liked. I thought that was a good sequence, and it it did let it let Hanks do some of his uh, his better acting. I felt like, 
I don't know enough about this story to know if that's how it all went down. If it is, I feel like everybody who is involved in the uh, in the, the hearing or the panel or whatever it is are really bad at their job for not having thought about that prior to the actual hearing. Like that's a that seems like something that probably should have come up earlier in your investigation of like maybe we should consider that these people got 17 tries and he had to do it in the heat of the moment. Like that seems very uh, faux cinematic, I guess. But it it worked in the movie. It just for something that has tried so hard to be, I felt like um, true to the story to the point of being incredibly dull at times. That seems like a really odd thing for just everybody to overlook in real life. It is crazy to think that Sully says, uh, "How'd you know you weren't going to make it?" I, I eyeballed it and knew mm-hmm. I couldn't. Like he literally says, "I just looked over there and said, oh, too far away, not going to make it,'" and then went in the Hudson. Um, it's just crazy that I don't know how many flights, thousands of flights he said he had done over mm-hmm. forty years. How how much your instinct comes into play there as a pilot like how much experience you have to have to pull something like that off to not just completely freak out you know um pretty amazing it's also very encouraging to know that if you're going to crash and there's a body of water you can land a plane on a body of water and (laughs) safely and just stand on the wing and i'll be a good and not like violently (laughs) die you know i didn't know planes were built to like float as perfectly as it did i thought it was going to sink yeah, um, I remember the seeing rafts. the pictures of that in real life and just thinking that that was really, really odd and incredible that 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 it stayed afloat because I thought the same thing. I'm like, surely this sinks at a pretty rapid rate. Like, right. I would no, think they try to just... make them like if they're intact. I'm sure they probably try to build them to where they float in case they do sure. crash because yeah. a lot of them crash at sea, you know. But right. the problem is they break up in the air and then. Right. That's where they that's where they ultimately uh, end up with like that Malaysia flight or whatever. And they're never found, but it's, it's crazy, man. This stuff happens a lot uh, more than we probably hear about it. Um, kind these kinds of small little incidents where a patch of birds and they had to make a turn around, head back to the airport and they land safely. We don't ever, we only heard about this one cause it was in the Hudson in the biggest city in America, sure. but I'm sure this type of stuff happens and it just, again, made me really respect our pilot industry and uh, just Mm -hmm. how much they do for us and how much time they put in. And they're away from their families. They're around the world. They sleep very little. They're always in hotels and just how important that job is. And um, it's pretty amazing. And I think Eastwood did a good job of just respecting that and um, paying homage to Sully and just thanking him kind of for what he did. Because it... Mm -hmm. Kind of ends abruptly. What did you guys think of how it ended? Um, that's basically how it ends, I guess. Is they did it seventeen times. Well, I did it in the moment. You know, I relied on my instincts, uh, kind of thing. And then they ask, "Well, if you could do it over again, what would you do?" And then Aaron Eckhart says, "It would have been in the summer or something like that." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everybody has a laugh, and then it's over. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well. That's it's like kind of I said, kind of, and this is an hour and 30 minute movie. This is not yeah, like shocking. literally I was shocked by that. Yeah. Literally as short as they can make, like the minimum you can make a movie is <laughs> hour 20 and hour, hour 80 minutes. This is like 93 minutes, I think. So, uh, they stretched this one out. Like I said, and just the ending was like kind of confirmed in my mind. Yeah, this isn't really 
a subject matter for a movie because you've got the dramatic moments of the plane crash, but that's really all there is. And how do you end this? You know, <laughs> you really mm-hmm. can't end it. So you have to end it on a joke, which is what they did. So that's fine. I mean, it worked. It was kind of a ha ha ha. Everyone kind of left in a good mood kind of thing. But this is a movie for older people, I feel like. Um, all of Clint Eastwood's work is. He doesn't really understand millennials much, obviously. And uh, this didn't work to a lot of my sensibilities. But, I mean, from a pure story standpoint, from a pure um, wow, this actually happened. I'm glad I saw this movie because now I know more about that event and, and everything. Uh, I'm glad I saw this movie. Um, and if I was to make a top 10 list this year, this would probably be in there at towards the end, just cause it does have more of those elements that I do like in movies more than a lot of the movies this year. So uh, I don't think this one will be around later in the year for any performances. Um, I don't think Tom Hanks was good enough to be in the conversation in the top five when it's all said and done. Who knows what these things he's Tom Hanks, you know, he might get the benefit of the doubt, but wasn't much weight to, a lot of this it was just um it was a solid movie solid solid mm-hmm. um so i guess we can hit grades sorry i got the hiccups there i guess we can hit grades unless you guys have any closing thoughts on on sully no i'm good okay no i'm fine let's let's grade it i'm gonna grade this one at a b straight b okay brian yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go lower and that that low grade is, is going to be based pretty much solely on, on Tom Hanks. I'm going to go C plus and just, I don't know. I guess Hanks could be up for an Oscar at some point at the end of this year, but without a really strong performance for him, I, I fear this is much closer to the bottom 10 for me than, than. Oh, absolutely. I'm, but luckily, it does have Tom Hanks. So yeah, luckily, <laughs> luckily Hanks, I don't want to say he saves it, but he definitely keeps it afloat. If nothing else, oh sure. So. <laughs> I see what you did there. Keeps it afloat. Eh. All right, uh, Richard. Yahtzee. Yeah, I'm gonna. I thought I'd be. I thought I'd be higher than Brian, but I'm the same. I'm gonna go C plus as well. Okay, so another one from Clint Eastwood, and uh, another one that we're gonna have to watch. And Hollywood loves them some Clint Eastwood. So, oh yeah, don't be surprised if this one ends 82% up eighty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, there you too, go. So. And it was very. It's... Very strongly reviewed, even in the film festivals. I heard it got mm-hmm. standing ovations and such, and it's uh, made, made been, a good chunk positive. of money too. It's been very yeah. positive uh, from that sense. So we'll see. Okay, let's hit weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. Uh, Richard, there's a book out uh, next week. I've read some advanced stuff on, and it's uh, it's. It's going to be great, obviously, because it's from the, the great man himself. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, autobiography, Born to Run, comes out uh, soon. So check that out if you like uh, rock and roll history and the, the words of a poet. I highly recommend you check that out. Thank you. I'm going to recommend something on Netflix. Uh, first of all, I'm going to recommend two things on Netflix. Uh, second season of Documentary Now premieres this week. And mm. um, season yeah, one is on Netflix. It's so good. I, I want more of our listeners. I, I've, we've recommended Documentary Now probably four times on the <laughs> recommends, and n- not enough people are like contacting us saying thank you for a doc. I just want more people to engage in the Documentary Now conversation because it's so good. I just want I just want more people to be able to see it. So, see Documentary Now, 
on Netflix, and season two, I think, premiered on IFC this week. So be on the lookout for that. I'm excited for it. But I think it's tomorrow, and we've got South Park and documentary now tomorrow. It's good time wow. for a Hater. Season 20 for South Park, wow. by the way. Crazy. Season 20. So, speaking of that, um, I want to recommend a documentary on Netflix, and I hadn't really gotten around to seeing this or watching it in its entirety uh, until this past weekend. Um, the Eagles, History of the Eagles documentary. Has anybody oh, seen yeah. this on Netflix? Oh, yeah. yeah. It makes um, the documentary now so much funnier. It ties It in. does. It's, oh my gosh. Speaking yeah. of, I didn't even make that connection until just now. I mean, I, I made it while I was that watching the documentary, episode. but I totally recommend a documentary now on a separate note, but they are. They're so similar. Um, but, uh, wow, holy, I, I mean, I watch it because um, Glenn Fry passed this year, and it was uh, sad times, <laughs> definitely sad times. It's, uh, man, this this just kind of shows what a genius he was and how freaking talented he and Don Henley were. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, have there, there might have never been two better singers in a rock band ever, you know, when it comes down sure. to it. Uh, they're that was always kind of one of the knocks on them is that they were too clean as a, vocally at least. They're too good. They're just like, yeah. I mean, Glenn Fry has the most pure voice, like the most just all-American singing voice, you know? But Don Henley has the most unique voice, maybe. Unique, like cool rock voice ever, too. And they're in the same band, and then you add everybody that they had, the Joe Walsh's of the world and everything. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm, getting, I'm getting in more of the Eagles in my later years. Um, mm-hmm. I can respect them a lot more now. But uh, just they're from pure musicianship and everything. There are several scenes in the uh, in the documentary of them just backstage harmonizing and everything that are just awesome. Mm. They're just like they'll show yeah. a whole song of them sitting backstage playing on acoustic and everything. And uh, wow, it just makes you realize how many how talented they were, how many freaking hits they had. I mean, I think the first it's a four hour documentary, and the first part is just basically goes over all their success in the seventies and, uh, early eighties, it, um, it's just really cool to go back and watch that. And they talk a lot about how the songs are written and the history of mm-hmm. them. And that's always interesting. And, uh, just how on fire they were. I mean, they were just hit after hit after hit. And they were all just yeah. very like good in-depth rock songs and weren't just like the typical, uh, I don't know, not hair metal of the day, but the kind of Black Sabbathy, Led Zeppelin-y kind of music. They they invented a sound. It was called the California sound, or they were right. the representation of that. And that's what documentary spoofs, documentary and out spoofs with uh, the Blue Jean Committee. And there's a scene in here where they're playing Chicago on a sound. They're they're playing, yeah, <laughs> they're playing on a uh, talk show in this. I think they're playing Peaceful Easy Feeling or something, and they're all in, in blue jeans. In the, that had to have mm-hmm. been where they thought of this. Uh, documentary now uh, a bit but I mean it's a great four hours if you ate out of that to kill it's very nostalgic it'll make you want to go listen to all their records but it again it's just how much we're going to miss Glenn Fry and knowing we're never going to see them on stage again mm-hmm. as a group singing is is sad but um, I'm not a huge fan of the band I only own like one of their records I think but this made me respect them a lot more it's very well done sure. so History of the Eagles is again on Netflix so don't have to pay any extra just check it out. Good stuff. All right, Brian. Yeah, and I would say what you said about that documentary is kind of the 
the basis for seeing it, right? Because I love the Eagles. The Eagles are not very popular with our generation at all. Um, but I think even if you don't, if you can't stand any of their songs, it's su- that's such an interesting Man, documentary. I, I hadn't had realized so much stuff how on. good "Take It Easy" was, like yeah. how w- great, well recorded that song is, and how clean it is, and how perfect like the vocal melodies are and everything. And like I think there's a quote in the documentary that says, uh, "It was Rolling Stone at the time it said Take It Easy is could be the the most well recorded rock song of our generation." And like <laughs> sure. that might be true. Like it is so yeah. flawless. And uh, also Lion Eyes like mm-hmm. has quickly leapfrogged to be my favorite Eagle song. Uh, it's so freaking good. The harmonies and the the chorus and just the organic nature of how the song was written, I love. And it kind of shows off what they do best, but Hotel California, I mean, it's just hard to beat that in, in a lot yeah. of ways. It's it, it's almost hard to, for anyone to deny that that's a, not a great song. Sure, know? yeah. No, that, that stuff is great, And but the backstory on everything that's happening oh, was yeah. so interesting. I've read a ton of Eagle stuff and then the documentary, so it all kind of blends together. I can't remember what's in the what's in the documentary and what's not, but it, I one of my favorite eagles stories is about one of their very last concerts before they broke up in like 81 i think something like mm-hmm. that i think it was in cincinnati and uh and glenn fry and and don henley were so they're all just so coked up oh they're the hating band. each other and it's all Cowboys on the recording it, yeah yeah and they're the, the uh the sound guy was having to that's a live concert and the the sound guy is having to turn off their mics in between songs because they would finish a song and then they would just turn and scream at each other. Just horrible things. He was like, and then oh, like, and now yeah. we're going to play, take it easy, you know, and get back. He to would say, man, song would end and two more songs, two more songs and you're, I'm going to let you have it, man. I'm going to yeah, kick your ass yeah. so hard after it's, this one. It's, like, yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, I'm going to recommend a book as well as Richard. It is called the hike by drew McGarry. It's kind of, uh, I would say highbrow science fiction, it's very, very funny. I described it to my friends as Alice in Wonderland meets uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's got a very, it has a very British sensibility to it in terms of just like it's kind of dark, but it's very, very funny in the same breath. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's a pretty short read. And if you uh, have the access to audible or other audiobooks means uh the the audiobook is fantastic it's read by a guy whose name i don't know but he sounds kind of like a scholarly jim gaffigan and it works really well for uh for the book as a whole so i loved it i finished it today i read it in a couple of days and and uh was excited to go back and read more by by the author so it's called the hike by drew mcgarry awesome good recommend always good always good to have you guys on the show always good to talk Movies, tuck. Maybe movies we'll talk about later. It's always that's always a good thing. Not movies I never want to talk about again, which is often the case. But uh, if we were to find you online, Brian, where would that be? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. Kent, where can I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Carrison. Find our show online on the iTunes or wherever podcasts are sold or distributed. Give us five stars on the iTunes. That helps go a long way. And don't forget to tell a friend. Thank you to the sponsors for sponsoring this episode. And until next week, guys, it's a week that I've been looking forward to for a long time. (laughs) 
In which, that makes one of us. Which we'll be talking Bridget Jones's baby. <laughs> no. Um, what are we talking next week? Snowden? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blair Witch? Uh, I, my vote is Blair Witch. I, I'm not going to convince Brian for Blair Witch, but it's either going to be Blair Witch or, so, or Snowden. So I'm still scarred by the original Blair Witch 20 years ago. I, I but does sound better than Snowden. Blair Witch <laughs> is going. Blair Witch is going to win the weekend. So or Sully yeah. again. So we'll see. But until then, we'll see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Goodbye. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya-ya. Tossed salads and scrambled eggs.